when was it? So early Feb, I uh, my wife got COVID. I got sick, didn't get diagnosed with COVID. Had um, basically, you know, just like jet lag symptoms and thought that was it. And then three weeks later, I got diagnosed with a uh, kidney failure that meant that all my proteins was going out and that resulted in, um, I, I guess, uh, being hospitalised and a whole bunch of things like gaining weight, feeling sick um, and feeling helpless. Um, and for those people who know me, um, feeling helpless and standing still is not one of my favourite actions. And But it was certainly a time when... Um, uh, like many crappy, oops, <laughs> many, <laughs> many horrible things that have happened to me um, where, look, it, it's very easy to, to, to kind of, you know, get some sense of, I don't know, control, trying to make sense of it by, by kind of coming up with stories like, oh, what did I do to deserve this? Or, um, okay, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be productive and, and I'll try to be spiritual and say, you know, that God, you know, God's going to like, this This is going to lead me to this and that and, and you know, this tragedy is going to help, I don't know, make me stronger or just trying to basically make sense of something that in my mind I'm trying to go, but God, like, hang on. Like, does this mean, like, I'm not in your favour? Did I do, you know, I keep circling back. This sense of, like, it's me, I did it. And, and, and you know, that oh, I'd love to say that that's kind of pretty straightforward, but, you know, there's this whole world of sense of shame and then you're about identity and then it comes down to, like, what could I have done differently and then there's regret and, and you spend so much energy and then it turns into a blaming God. And then I have this argument with God. And that's what would normally happen. And that is kind of, I guess, what I've had with a whole bunch of things. Um, but in that moment when I was sitting in hospital, bent over, nauseous, leaning over my wife, Kirsten, who Paul was trying to look after me, look after family, everything, feeling sorry for myself, God reminded me of when... Uh, just before COVID, um, I, I just started a new job at a new place that I thought I'd found, like, it's my home. I've been looking for a place to find somewhere where I could, like, progress my, you know, thing and my career and, you know, my aspirations. And I was, like, very excited. thought things are going well. And God said to me, I want you to be a tap, which I thought was cool. Okay, what does that mean? And obviously, you know, kind of got it, which was basically, won't we tap? Uh, you've just got to trust. I've got all the water in the world that needs to be flowed out. You just need to turn on when I want you to turn on. And where it goes, you just got to be ready to turn on. So I think I've gone enough in my journey to kind of appreciate, okay, I know what God's doing now. He, he's, he's basically saying, you've got all these skills, you've got all these Strengths, you've got all these capabilities, you've got yourself, you've learned who, what you can and can't do. We've been on a journey. Um, and you know what? I just want you to trust, trust me. And I want you to trust me that it's not about 
how I see you because I think you should know by now how I see you. Now, I'm having this very quick conversation and he's obviously touching on things that have always triggered me and it was this, I guess, reassuring kind of half a second conversation that felt like forever. But it was in that moment when he talked about being attacked that I kind of go, okay, what I'm having to do is just be ready to respond to be there. Now that was before COVID. So you can imagine then COVID happens, I go, right, so now you want me to be a tap, but potentially there's not gonna be any water. So what's the point of being a tap? What was that? And then I was filled with the whole world of fear again over like, oh my gosh, am I gonna lose this job? And what, how am I gonna provide for my family? What, you know, the, we're gonna, like all that fear. So, 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 you, so, so through that, no, but, but as I remembered that journey and I remembered coming through like everyone else who was filled with uncertainty, fear and triggering a whole bunch of deep-seated concerns that, that even through that, I think what that journey taught me was that um, it isn't about what you're facing. It isn't about how horrible, it, it wasn't about how horrible it is or how blessed I was or how, you know, how much I had or how very little I had. What I was having to remember was God said I was going to be a tap and that he was basically going to be there either way. And I kind of realized what, what, what makes me, um, I guess, gives me confidence in spite of the circumstances isn't whether I'm capable of doing it or not capable of doing it because 90% of the time, I like to say yes to stuff and I'll go, I'll figure it out. Um, so I don't know whether that comes from a false sense of, you know, <laughs> my capability or maybe just over time, God's just been building this thing. But I think what I guess God's helped me see is like, actually what I just, I should feel comfort in knowing is in spite of everything going around, he's there. He wants me a part of it. And I just need to trust him. Now, I realize as I'm saying that, that's really straightforward, Gaffer, and I should really know that. And I've learned that several times. I don't understand why I'm even espousing this to, to everyone, because you guys probably already know it. But clearly someone like me needs to be reminded a million times and needs multiple things to happen to be keep reminded. So then the funny thing about this whole experience of being sick, and by the way, for the first time in my life, you know, my wife keeps telling me I should see doctors and go in, and I keep thinking I'm Superman. For the first time in my life, I thought, oh my, I might actually be human and I might actually, and I'm not actually worried about dying. It's just how I get there is more I worry about. I thought maybe I'd just be awesome and just drop dead and wouldn't know anything about it. And that'd be everyone else's problem to deal with afterwards. Sorry, babe. Um, but I guess, you know, it, it helped me kind of, you know, realizing that vulnerability, but, but having had the journey beforehand, and I, I guess I'll, I'll share a little bit of, I guess, kind of do it, but what it helped me appreciate was and be prepared for was kind of knowing that, hang on, I am vulnerable and I am flawed. And the, 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 the beauty of it is it didn't matter. And in fact, that's, that's the awesome part of it is because guess what? It's not up to me anymore. I'm sitting there feeling like I'm, I'm feeling like I'm going to vomit, but I'm not stressed that oh my gosh, now it's up to me. What, what about my family? What, like I had this weird sensation of like, all right, I'm sick. It sucks. It's horrible. God's got it. I just got to get trust. God's got it. And, and let people, and 
And the beautiful thing is, and, and this was a, probably, you know, there's multiple hard things about this experience was I just had this niggling feeling that God was like saying to me, share your struggle with, with, with the church, like just share it. And in my mind, I'm sitting there going, oh, but, but, you know, they've known me to be healthy and like active. And now I'm going to share that I'm like frail and sick and fragile. Like, am I like a hypocrite? Am I a fraud? And obviously, as I say it out in my head, I realize how silly that sounds, but it wasn't. And so I just kind of shared it thinking oh, on WhatsApp going, oh, no, you know, like it was this icky, yucky, vulnerable thing. And oh, my God, I think I almost Sorry. Sorry. And then to see everyone's encouraging words and love from people who like aren't even like spoke to face to face and just just this overwhelming sea of community. And and I and then I got it. I get to decide how I get to live and experience the imperfect, crappy, yet beautiful um, world that we live in that is filled with uncertainty, but like amazing opportunities. And I don't actually have to be alone. And I actually, the, the agency I have is not how the world happens, but how I see it and I choose to respond to it and to receive God's grace and to trust him. And while I was in hospital, you know, <laughs> examples like that is I'm lying in there in, 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 you know, in ER for 24 hours. They couldn't find me a bed. And ordinarily I'd be just going, oh, my gosh, this is all this noise. And instead what, what God showed me was just this sense of like, Compassion, like you could hear, you know, you can hear, like in my mind, I'm going, I just want my own sweet. I want to go to bed. That would be my initial bit. But actually I found joy, not joy. That's not the right word. I found, I don't know, some sort of solace kind of going, wow, God, look at all these struggling people and look at all these people trying to help them. And just, just seeing like, wow, this is about, this isn't about any one individual. This is about a collective in, you know, experience, mandate that God says, hey, this, I'm calling you to just be there for each other. I'm here for you. Let's do this together. And, and I just got that glimpse and seeing all the nurses running around, you know, having, wanting to help, but also, you know, needing to be responsible and just this, what would ordinarily look like chaos, but just this symphony of just love, care and duty and, and you know, need being helped. And, and I'm thinking to myself, Normally I'd be complaining because I'm not sitting in a king-size bed in you know, my five-star hotel being precious, which my wife can to attest to. I can be a little bit soft on that kind of stuff, right? But it was just, it was amazing just inside. And then, you know, and they're all apologizing that they're taking so long and I'm sitting there going, no, no, you, you've got better things to do. I'm good. It's fine. And it was this, yeah, it was just this weird sense of like, for once in my life, I didn't really care about myself, not that for any martyrdom, just other than, I could just see this, right? And then anyway, they finally moved me to, to a nice room and it's all gorgeous and all that stuff. And I'm by myself and I'm like alone and I'm like, oh, I kind of missed the action, but it's great to sleep. But look, 
you know, then I get this, this experience, this, this journey of then rapid healing where everyone's freaking out that I'm walking out when I've got stuff sticking in because I want to jog and I want to run, but I'm carrying 12 kilos of extra water. So I pretend I'm in like Rocky Five or Creed, you know, trying to recover, uh, thinking, yeah, I'm doing this. And, but, you know, but then, you know, I get, I face reality that I am still sick, that I am still frail. And the temptation, I hear the voice, that gaffer of like, who are you kidding, man? Like, look at you. What, you know, I get that same voice of just, and then I remember that voice is coming from this sense that it's all up to me and, and being able to just, just remember those, just not, not even good moments, just remember the, the who and the why of God. It's like, okay, God, it, yes, it sucks. But like, I just, I just got to keep moving forward. And, and it wasn't like I had any sense of like, hey, I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be, it was just simply, he's there. So if this is, and this is at the time where I, I thought I was going to be there three days, but it turned out they don't know. So I'm looking at this going, hang on, we're meant to go away to Bali <laughs> in a week and a half. I'm still convinced we can. My wife clearly has already, like, is trying to figure out how do I, like, tell him again it's not happening. The doctor's trying to work my wife to tell me how it is. And, you know, I think I end up calling and just going, okay, fine, I'll, I'll cancel and accept. But I, I guess the point, you know, I could go on and on about, but what I realise kind of, and, and, you know, it's this amazing journey where not only did I heal like quickly, I'm stronger. I'm actually doing business deals from a hospital. That's just this all this fruit and this blessing. And ordinarily, I would kind of go, "Oh, that's the point, right?" It's the we all live happily ever after. Like yes, through the tragedy, blah blah blah, and you know now Gaffer's flying and all this stuff. And and ordinarily, I'd be like, "Great, that's the point of the story." And I'm, what I'm grateful for is to kind of go, that's nice and I love it and I'm going to capitalise it. But what makes me overwhelmingly cry or get really, sorry, God, sorry. What makes me comforted and filled with joy is just knowing I'm not alone because of my father and I'm not alone because of my community and friends are family and it is nothing to do with my worth or what I've done or ambition or achievement or failure or screw-ups or anything I've said that by the grace of God, I'm, he chose me. I didn't get to do it. And that for me feels like, I hope I can remember this moment for the next thing that happens, because I guess that is one of the things that I <laughs> still at the age of 46, still coming to grips that in the beautiful land of the Northern beaches, bad things happen. Uh, and I know bad things happen, worse things happen everywhere else. But in spite of the bad or the good, or whatever it is, I'm not alone. It's such a privilege to have heard these stories and to, to kind of experience and understand what, how God has been working in people's lives. And, and I think for us, sometimes when we hear somebody else's story, it makes us think that 
what, what about me? Where's God been working in me? Or maybe, and, and it's not about whether you've got a big story, it's not about whether you've got a little story, not about whether you've grown up in a church family and you've always known the presence of God in your life or you've had amazing an encounter with God. We all have very different encounter stories. We all have encounter stories that um, God is working in our lives and, and challenges changes in the big things and in the small things. And today in our, in our Bible reading, we, we have a story of Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus. It, it is a short story. It is a kind of, it's almost kind of a random story in there of, of this short guy climbing a tree and Jesus sees him and says, I'm coming to your place. And then he gives over half his money and changes who he is. Simply put, Zacchaeus, when he encounters Jesus, is changed. His encounter with Jesus changes who Zacchaeus is. And I think that is so much about what our encounters with God does with us. That we are changed. For some of us, it's huge changes, and others, it's little, subtle changes. But we are never the same from an encounter with God. So let's explore a bit more deeply um, this passage and how the encounter with Jesus changes Zacchaeus. So we're going to put up our first reading, the little section that we're going to have a look at. It's from Luke 19, verses 2 to 4. And, and, and it's, it's wonderful today we've had, we've had the Glenda paraphrase of this story. We've had the new international version, and I'm going to put up verses here from the New Living Translation, all from the Bible, all from looking at it and using slightly different language to explain for us each way. So let's look, look at this again. There was, a, there was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the, and we kind of need to note a few things. So here is a chief tax collector in the region, and he become very rich. So here he is, he's a chief tax collector in this area, and, and, and he's really rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass this way. Now, we kind of need to understand a few things. And here's, here's the first key point I want you to understand and will help us actually understand about how we encounter Jesus. And, and this is it. The Zacchaeus was, was curious and actually wanted to see Jesus. So Zacchaeus was actually curious. He wanted to actually find out who this person was. So much so that he was willing to go and climb a tree just to get a better vantage point in order to see this person Jesus that everybody had been talking about. Now, let, let, let's, let's put this into perspective here. Now, Zacchaeus, being a chief tax collector, he was actually despised by the Jewish people in that area. He was despised as a traitor. So being a chief tax collector, and let, anybody in the tax department here today? I need to kind of just make sure. I'm not saying that you are bad people, okay? Let, let me put it out there. You know, but... In that time, being a tax collector meant that you were working for the invading people, the invading Roman Empire, the occupying force. You were collecting money on their behalf. And so what happens is that the local population hates you because of what you are doing. 
He was hated. And the reason why he was so rich was pretty much the only way you could entice somebody to doing the job was to give them more money to make sure that they were wealthy and well looked after, that they had a lavish lifestyle. The other thing is that, and you notice and we hear it come out of the story, that people thought and felt and often experienced that tax collectors were dishonest and corrupt individuals, that they would take more than they really were allowed to take and, and they would pocket that for themselves. Now, it doesn't actually say in the account that Zacchaeus was actually dishonest but he does actually say, and we know this, he says that if he's, if he's been dishonest in any of his dealings, he's going to pay back that money four times fold. So, but it actually doesn't say he was dishonest. It just says he was very rich, very wealthy. Now, it's, it's interesting because if you think about this, here's this short man, very wealthy, not liked by by his local community and he's wanting to go and see this person this jesus character who who he's heard stories of of interacting with those who are outcasts those people who didn't fit within their local community who've been separated whether it be through leprosy or or or, or whatever and he sat with them and ate with them and shared with them and healed them and so he's wanting to see somebody that maybe possibly could be somebody that might like him, might have him, even though he is despised by his local community, might actually like him. And it's interesting because, you know, as you're thinking about this, how, if you were a rich, influential, powerful little man, what would you do in order to get past a crowd? Would you push your way through? If you felt super important in yourself, you'd go, oh, I'm getting down the front. Oh, I'm pushing my way through all of this, not just staying behind. So it actually helps you understand a bit of the character of who Zacchaeus is. He's not confident in himself. He may be wealthy, he may be doing a job for the Roman Empire, but he is not confident in himself. And so because he's not so confident, he goes and runs off ahead of the crowd and Jesus and everybody else, and he climbs up this tree. Only to get a better vantage point. See, he's curious. And being curious about what God can do in your life, about the change that can happen, that's what you want to be curious about. You may have been in the faith for years. You may have grown up in, in faith, but if you have lost your curiosity about what God can do in your life, what an encounter with God can do for you, then you are missing something. I want to encourage you to be curious, to actually seek God, to climb that tree, to get there and find God again in your life because something amazing will happen. And something amazing happens as Jesus passes by. See, Jesus not only passes by, but he calls Zacchaeus by name. This is the second thing. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name and 
what he does, he invites himself to Zacchaeus' place. Let's hear the reading so that we can hear it again for ourselves. And it says this in, in verses 5 and 7 of, of Luke 19. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by what? By name. He, you know, he knew who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Because why? Because suddenly here is this person who's an outcast, hated by those around, but at the center of attention. The possibility that Jesus, this person who does amazing things and has heard amazing things about, is at my place. Wanting to be at my place. But what happens? The, but the people were displeased. He has gone to, the get, to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So it's, it's a, couple, a couple of things I want you to take note of in this passage as we were going. You know, it, it was and it's still, you know, it, the custom of visiting teachers, of rabbis, of, of important people as they pass through a town to stay at the home of a local leader, of a prominent person within that village, within that region. And what would happen is that person would provide for them, but provide a space where the community could listen to that teacher, listen to what they're saying and be involved in, in what message that they are bringing. So that it was... It was commonplace for you to come in and you would go to the the local important person within the town and often that would have been the local um the rabbi the teacher the the jewish leader of that place or it might have been the wealthy prominent family um, but they would come in and they would sit and they would share together a meal and they would share the news of the world and and tell of god's love and care for the world and the people. And what happens is this shows a level of prestige, it shows a level of honour to the person who is hosting the teacher. And Jesus chose Zacchaeus, a sinner, an outcast, a traitor, someone that was against them, and the people were rightly upset. The other thing to note is that Zacchaeus is, is personally invited. Jesus calls him by name. And each of us, we know, God knows us by name. I, I want to I say this to you. So often the world will tell us that, that we are known by our failures, by, known by the things that we don't do, by our sins. God doesn't call Zacchaeus by his sins. He doesn't call him by what he hasn't done, by his failings. God calls him by our name. God calls us by our name. God knows us for who we are, not for what we have done. And this encounter is incredibly special and personal and life-changing. For Zacchaeus, he is changed. Zacchaeus is changed. We're going to go and just hear what that change is for us and for, for him and actually understand the depth of that. And it comes from Luke 19, verse 8. Here it is. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, stood before Jesus and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, 
Lord, and if I have cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, remember back when I said how to entice somebody to go and do the will and the work of taking taxes? Was to get wealthy. But here we have a person that has changed their perspective on life just through the sheer encounter of Jesus and coming into their house. Changed their perspective from wealth to something of a bit more of compassion. Here, instead of accumulating wealth and getting richer, he's giving away money. He's giving away what is accumulated. And he's owning up if he's been dishonest to give back more. Not just give back what he's taken, but pay recompense for it. See, we contrast this with Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler who had all the wealth and all the prestige, but yet he could not give up that wealth and therefore was not part of the kingdom of God and didn't have eternal life. But here we have another wealthy man, completely changed by the encounter of Jesus, because of his curiosity and seeking him, because Jesus invited him, called him by name, and stated his place, Zacchaeus has this massive life change. See, encountering Jesus is life-changing. The encounter with Jesus, with God, doesn't have to be big like a Damascus Road experience, which Paul was talking about with us last week. It can be small. It can be subtle. Each of us can have these life-changing encounters with Jesus. What we need to do is just to be a little bit more like Zacchaeus. Be a little bit curious. Be a bit curious about what God is doing and being willing to push past the obstacles that hold us back from, from encountering God. I want you to think now in this moment. What are the things that are stopping you from encountering God personally? What are the things that you do routinely that fill up your mind and your time and your space, your energy, everything that is part of you? What do you clutter into your life that stops you from having an encounter with God? Maybe it's just the busyness of life. Maybe it's the, the pressure of the world. Maybe it's just a view of yourself that you don't think you're worthy or special enough. Let me say to you today, God loves you. God wants to encounter and be with you. God wants to be present in your life. God wants to see that change in you that changes your heart. As Glenda said in the, the kids' talk, to soften that heart. And maybe, maybe today, God is calling you by name to be present with you 
where you are right now. Maybe God is saying, your life needs a bit of change in it. If that is you, just pray with me right now. And If you want to encounter Jesus so much more in your life, pray with me now. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks that you do call us by name. You call each of and every of us individually by name. Lord, you love us. You love all of the world so much so that you, you sent your son, you sent Jesus into this world. Not just to correct us, but to give us new life. New life through what he has done on the cross. New life through his his willing to give his, his body, his blood, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the forgiveness of our shortcomings. Once and for all. Oh Lord God, we just today ask that. If there are things in our lives that we've placed in front of us that are holding us back, that are obstacles to your indwelling of your Holy Spirit upon us, your indwelling of your grace upon our lives, make them known to us so that we may see them as an obstacle, that we may see them as a barrier to you. Lord, help us to come and know you more deeply, more personally. Lord, help us to receive your forgiveness. Help us to receive your grace. The grace that only you can give. We ask this in the name of our Saviour, of Jesus Christ, who challenges us, who changes us, who calls us. May we be changed. May we be made new in your image. We pray this your mighty name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. Let's just join together in this moment of worship. Let's continue to worship together. Let's sing.